Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, Wildcats? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And Brett, the roller coaster that is Arizona basketball. Last week was down. This week is up. All is right in the world once again. The Wildcats swept their Bay Area road trip, and everyone's feeling good, right? The unpredictability was very predictable. With right. the we kind of saw it coming in a way. <laughs> um, Arizona went to Cal and beat them 68-52. to then beat Stanford 69-60, a very nice victory, if I may say so myself. And neither one of them was a game that Arizona played well. You, you wouldn't be wowed by them. No. Not, the, not their shooting, not really anything, because neither Cal nor Stanford. Stanford's better. They're a decent team, especially got De Silva back. Imagine that. Who could have seen that coming either? But I believe we called that last week as well. <laughs> and it's everybody's joke is how there's nothing, there's no tonic to get healthy quite like playing Arizona, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's good that he played though, right? Like oh, you absolutely. wanted him to be on the floor. I mean, Grant, I, I say that now after Arizona won with him on the floor. It's like, yes, I want to play against a team that has all their best players, assuming my team wins. If my team loses, then be injured all you want because wins are the most important thing. But We'll start with Cal. We'll be quick on that one because it was more of a blowout. Cal's not a very good basketball team. They had been pretty tough at home. Uneven first half for Arizona. Second half, once Dylan Smith got going, Bay Area, Dylan Smith is a thing now. Arizona cruised. And the one thing, Brett, that I like most about this game, not that they beat Cal, but that was, that was good. Obviously, that was good, was that Arizona did not play well for most of it, but then was able to step on the gas and run away with it. Like, the good Arizona teams have done in the past. They don't necessarily dominate for 40 minutes, but you play even for about 30, and then Arizona just takes it to another level and puts it away, and it's not even close. And that's what happened here. Yeah, and the I think we talked about it, like, a month or two ago. The way that you can step on the gas and, like, put teams away and win comfortably is generally when you play reasonably good defense. And, you know, it's... If you would have told me we were holding teams to, you know, what was it, Cal, was it 52 points? You know, like yeah. if we're holding Pac-12 teams on the road to 52 points, I'd be like, oh, man, our defense has improved. I'm going to feel real good about this team. Um, you know, defense was actually the, maybe the strong suit of this past weekend, which... It certainly wasn't offense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so it's, it's a good sign in that they were able to go on the road and get a win and a convincing win and do so even while not particularly, you know, shooting lights out or playing fantastically on offense. Are you kidding? In this game, Arizona shot 48-1%. That's shooting the lights out for the Wildcats these days. <laughs> they yeah. made nearly half their shots. Yeah, but I mean, six, what is it, six of 16 on threes were still, that's not... 38%, that's pretty it's good. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice win. Um, the 52 points, I think, is what probably makes Sean Miller happier. Oh, sure. Um, you know, and, and going and winning on the road is not nothing anymore. <laughs> no. Well, this is a team that now they've won four straight on the road after, I think, starting what 0-3 away from McHale Center uh, in Pac-12, even more so there were other road losses in non-conference. 
Uh, Zeke Naji was the star in this game, as he was pretty much the entire road trip. 21 points to lead the Wildcats. But yeah, Dylan Smith had 14 points, made four of five threes. And there's never a bad time to make a three, but his were timely. And it's nice to see that from him to get out of that. Meaning, meaning second half. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, they were one of seven on threes in the first half, and then five of nine in the second half, right. which is all how Dylan many, Smith. How many times has Arizona this year come out of the locker room and been worse? Like we've seen them have good first halves Most. and fall apart in the second. And it takes a guy like Dylan Smith. They were open looks. They weren't bad shots, but he made them. Yeah. And I know Sean Miller said after the game that they started Dylan Smith because he didn't, one, he didn't blame Dylan Smith for their loss to UCLA, but also he didn't want people to look at him as a scapegoat. Whereas Smith was willing to come off the bench. He's like, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. But the thought would have been if Dylan Smith was taking out the lineup, that's Sean Miller's way of saying, yep, that's the reason why we lost because Dylan's been struggling. And he had been struggling. But he, he stuck with it. And Smith, uh, to Sean Miller's credit and to Dylan Smith's credit especially, he rewarded him by having a really good game against Cal and kind of got Arizona going because Arizona wasn't pulling away from Cal. They were better, but they weren't pulling away until Smith started to get going. At that point, the game was over. Right. Yeah, that, that, I mean, his shooting in the second half was the reason why we pulled away. That, you know, that everything else was kind of uh, not, not as, as great as you'd like to see it going uh, this point in the season. But he shot the ball incredibly well and nothing like four threes to uh, extend the lead <laughs> real fast. Yeah, and we saw the reappearance of Chase Jeter in that game. He got a few minutes, made a shot, had a rebound, and two a, fouls. And a new haircut. And a new haircut, which it wasn't an impressive box score for Jeter, and the haircut might have been the worst thing he produced, I think, in that game. In a disappointing season, his haircut might be the worst part of his season. <laughs> <laughs> but the shorts were still hiked up there. But that was interesting to see, and we'll touch on that a little bit later, because Chase Jeter played in that game, did not see any action against Stanford. But otherwise, this was, this was a solid effort against a bad Cal team. Yeah, That's all. So it got the road trip off to a really good start. And we're going to talk about Stanford first, but Brett, we got a read to get here. Are you living with chronic pain? Yes, I am. What are the odds? I mean, pretty high. Yeah, you, you're kind of broken, I think. As we get older, it's easier <laughs> to fall apart and things. Did you just call me a broken man? <laughs> yes. Are you calling me a liar? No. <laughs> well, if you're broken physically, I don't think this will help mentally, but of course, living with chronic pain is the worst. It's more than a feeling of discomfort. It can affect your whole life. It's affecting your life considerably right now. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, it's that middle finger that you heard. Yeah, yes. uh, they're showing to me. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate that. Uh, many of our listeners probably have some type of pain like you, Brett, that has prevented them from relaxing and sleeping or stopped them from exercising. Perhaps it's been ongoing for a few weeks now and hasn't improved with any of the treatments that they've tried. Enter Omax Health. If you're looking to get rid of nagging muscle and joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, then you need to try it. Uh, you need to try the breakthrough pain relief solution called CryoFreeze CBD Roll-On. It's developed by Omax Health. Sounds great. It is. It's a non-prescription triple-action pain relief roll-on that is specially formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part, Brett? What's that? Are you sure you're ready for this? Yes. The best part is it's a 100% natural CBD-powered remedy, and it works its magic within 10 minutes of application and relief lasts up to eight hours, which is much longer than over-the-counter products. Eight hours of relief, not bad, especially if it takes 10 minutes to get there, right? No. So Omex Health is also just for you know, Brett, and I think this counts for you because you're not just a show host. You also listen to Wildcat Radio 2.0. I do. But Omex Health is offering our listeners 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief uh, roll-on plus free shipping. The discount also applies towards any product state or site-wide. So just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter your code OVERTIME. That sounds great. 
Yeah, no, it, it is. Like, I'm, I actually feel pretty good these days. So I don't know if I'll be needing it right now, Yeah, the cryo-freeze, but someday I'm sure I will because one day I'll actually try to do an exercise or a sport again and I'll be hurting. And, and I was holding up my middle finger, listeners, to Adam because I actually did hurt my, my joint pretty oh, badly. Oh, that's right. I, I know. I, that's, I, I, I understand that. There was I'm nothing else know. below, no other underlying reasons for why you were holding out your middle finger to me. You were showing me... So I could explain to the listeners yeah, you can where see your how, pain is. You can see how swollen it was. Yeah. So, so just remember this: the discount that you do with it also applies towards any product site-wide. So just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code OVERTIME. omaxhealth.com, OVERTIME, to get 20% off cryo-freeze. So, Brett, now that your pain could be gone, even better, maybe. Like, cryo-freeze is good. That helps. But mm-hmm. probably what helps you even more is another Wildcats victory. And they got one of those at Stanford, at the farm. And we knew after the Cal game, it's like, okay, that was nice. You beat a bad Cal team. What are you going to do against Stanford, who they're tough? <laughs> I know it was Arizona's one had won what, 18 in a row against them or something like that. I think it's like 19. It's, it's ridi- some ridiculous number. And that now makes, it's 20. I think. And it makes no sense, right? None of, it's, it's different teams, different years, different coaches. Whatever, but we knew that this was a big game because yes, beating Cal was good, and any road split's not a bad road split. But when De Silva came back, especially, it's like okay, this should be a tough game, and it was. It was a close game pretty much throughout the entire thing. And Arizona again struggled to shoot the ball, but stayed with it defensively and pulled away in the second half. It was a nice, good win. Yeah, it was another one of those times where. I think Sean Miller, more than most people, is happy with how because he with how the game turned out because they won ugly, right? Like it was an ugly game. Yeah, bad shooting on both teams, partially due to decent defense. I think um, partially due to just the, sometimes these teams struggle. But you know the referees. I mean, I mean, I think both teams had more fouls than they had field goals made, which which is a. <laughs> I don't know who you blame, bad shooting or bad officiating, probably both. I was going to say yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the thing that really was the deciding factor in my mind in that game uh, was the rebounding margin. Yeah. And I think Sean Miller talked about it in the post game too. It was some, I, I forget the stat, but it was like 89% defensive rebound rate, which means like any time they missed, which was a lot of misses, mm-hmm. you know, those possessions end. When well, you the, defensive rebound, The right? final number was 39 rebounds to 25. Arizona had 13 offensive rebounds. Stanford had three. I mean, there's your game right there. Yeah, Arizona missed a lot of shots, but they got a lot of shots up, too, because of the offensive rebounding. Yeah, and that's, to me, that's how you can tough out a game that you're not shooting well in. If you rebound and defend, you know, if you, if you, if you don't rebound in that game, we lose. Yeah. Even if you defend well, you lose that game on the road. And it was close. I mean, Arizona was up seven at halftime, and they outscored Stanford by two in the second half. And to Arizona's credit, 30 points in the first half, 39 in the second half. 39 wasn't bad. They did a lot of work at the free throw line. This was a game where Arizona looked big again. They looked big. They looked athletic, more so than Stanford. And it was nice to see. And beginning of the season, it's, it's almost the, the role reversal, right? When the season started, non-conference especially, we watched an Arizona team that was scoring 85 points a night, their defense was shaky, but we're like, man, if they could get their defense to close to what Sean Miller is used to having with this offense, they're going to be amazing. And now we're at a point where the defense has gotten better. You, and they've done some zone defense, throwing that in there every now and then. But the defense has gotten better. Yeah. And the offense, it's only gotten worse because they're not making shots. 
they were open looks still. Even against Stanford, they were open looks. They just weren't making Nico Mannion especially has not been very good of late. And I know our friend Saul Bookman from his show, he talked about that in depth. But this was a type of game where we wanted to see Arizona win it because they hadn't before. Unless they were shooting the ball well, they were struggling to beat teams. And Stanford's not a great team. I think they're quad one win right now. So it's net rating. It's looks like not it's not a bad win. It's a road win, so it's not a bad win. But it was just nice to see Arizona be able to win a different way than what we were used to seeing. And they've done this a few more times now. They didn't shoot the ball well against Washington State, and they won that game because their defense. So their defense, even when they lost to UCLA, their defense wasn't terrible right. in that game. So maybe, well, maybe not, not maybe. I think there's enough of a sample size now to say their defense has turned that corner. Maybe not great, but it's pretty good now. Yeah, and I think some you can kind of see that in different levels with different players and kind of how... Sean Miller's trying to, you know, we've talked about how he's manufactured a little bit of defensive effort and focus and, uh, you know, revised the rotations a little bit. Ira Lee's been getting, when they do that kind of matchup zone and put him at the top of the key, which is actually not a bad use no, of he's, him. He's big, he's active, he's he, strong. He's, he's what, 6'7", listed at, and fairly athletic, so it's like he can't really bully guys down low, but at the top of the key, he can be a disruptive force, mm-hmm. and he's very, very active, and so he can kind of irritate guards and throw them out of their... Uh, out of their their rotation a little bit, um, and was it? Oh gosh, was it the Cal game or was it, I think it was the Stanford game where, towards the end of uh, the half, I think it was they went from man to zone in the last like five seconds. I think it was Stanford, and it was kind of like you know watching a baby horse stand up for the first time because <laughs> they were, it was it was it it was awkward and very risky because they were kind of scrambling for the last like it was like with seven seconds left on the possession but it also threw the team and they didn't i don't even think they got a shot off yeah well that's a nice thing to have in your back pocket if you're sean miller and if you're you he it probably doesn't pain him as much as we think to go with zone every now and then like they're not going to be in a zone team they're not washington but it, he just wants good defense he wants to win and that's him adapting just a little bit Maybe not because it wasn't doing it because his team wasn't playing good defense. Like last year when there was talk about zone, even the year before, it was because they couldn't play defense. They couldn't play man. They couldn't mm-hmm. do his pack line. This team's been pretty good defensively without having to go zone, but that's a wrinkle they can throw out there in key situations. And if you're the offense, if you're coming out of a timeout, you have a play drawn up for Arizona's man defense, and then they come out in zone, it's a whole different thing. See, they used to happen to Arizona when teams would switch to zone. Yeah. Well, now you're not expecting it at all. And I don't think you can. I don't think if it comes down to like Arizona's up one in a tournament game, and the other team has the ball with twelve seconds left, Arizona's going to switch to zone randomly. I don't think they're going to do that. Absolutely not. They're going to if they're going to go down, they're going to go down doing what they are used to doing, what Sean Miller wants to do. But in certain situations, it's absolutely an advantage to have that in your back pocket. Yeah, and I think you know the, a fair criticism of Sean Miller for the last several years was he was stubborn. He still is stubborn to a large extent. But like that was that play was clearly planned and discussed, and they clearly wanted to disguise it. And you know it was good to throw them off for one possession as the clock was running down, and it was effective. Yeah, it, it saved you two points, maybe three points. Yeah, Which, <laughs> and two, momentum at the end of a half. Two, two three points on the road is not nothing. No. <laughs> um, so you know, good on Sean Miller for showing that little bit of flexibility. I think you're. I, I mean. I, I'm going to mostly agree, though I do think it really pains him to go to zone. <laughs> At this point, I think he's probably numb to that pain. Maybe he's yeah, using cryo-freeze. Oh, <laughs> what a callback. Yeah, yeah nice. Uh, Zeke Naji led the team again, 21 points, 11 rebounds in this one, got to the free throw line, and that's in large part because the team was actually getting him the ball down low. 
Like they were making post passes. They were making concerted effort to get Najee the ball, and he was rewarding them for it. Um, Josh Green had 15 points, a quiet 15, it seemed like, because he did a lot of damage at the free throw line. Dylan Smith had 11, made a couple threes, missed a few more. But it was overall a very balanced attack for Arizona. Even guys like Stone Gettings, he didn't really do a lot in the box score, but four points, a block, a couple of rebounds, was solid. The thing that I wanted to get to, Kristen Coloco played 10 minutes, which is about 40 fewer than he should have had. He's going to play 50 minutes in a, <laughs> in a 40-minute game? Yes. <laughs> but this was a game where you, you touched on it earlier, how the referees, especially once the second half started, it just was awful. I think Zeke Naji picked up three fouls in the first two minutes of the half. Nico Manning had, what, three charges calling him, but there were a lot of fouls going yeah. around. Arizona had a few guys. Najee finished with four fouls. Manning had four fouls. Josh Green had four fouls. Jamal Baker had three fouls. <laughs> Coloco had two in ten minutes. Now, that's probably accurate because he, he fouls people. It's the one knock on his game that you can find. It's nitpicking, sure. Because he's everywhere on the court. He's yes. always in the action. But this was a game where we saw Chase Jeter get a few minutes against Cal. And you're thinking, okay, maybe they're working his way back into the lineup. Maybe they're realizing that he's ready to go then. And obviously, he lost his starting role, but try to find a spot for him. If there was ever a game where you'd think you'd bring Chase Jeter in for a few minutes, it's a game where you were struggling offensively and your bigs are in foul trouble. And they turned to Coloco, and it was only 10 minutes. It's not like Coloco played 25 or uh, you know the 50 that he warranted. But I really had 12. Coloco had 10 off the bench. Gettings played 24. Najee played 28. Chase Jeter, none. And it's hard to it's it's just, it's interesting to figure out what Jeter's role is on this team right now because he's clearly healthy enough to play. Yeah. Unless there was some setback after the three minutes against Cal, he's healthy enough to play, but does he have a role? And we've talked about it on the show, they they're a better team with Chase Jeter, and yet Sean Miller at this point seems to have made the decision that they're not. I and I think we talked about it a few weeks back, maybe a month or so ago, that the problem is Chase Jeter's most effective use is getting him the ball in the post. He's not a complimentary player in the sense of he has no mid-range jump shot. He's not a particularly strong finisher if, like, he was in there with Najee and Najee's getting doubled. Uh, he's not a particularly great defender or rebounder. So, But in a game where Najee has three fouls in the first two minutes of the second half, in a close game... Well, to you be can't f- find a few minutes to see if Jeter has it that night? I mean, I think that tells you that there's more going on yeah. there than... That's kind of what I'm getting at, where we don't know. But the fact that he played against Cal makes you think, oh, well, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> you know, And then he doesn't play in a game where that would have been the game to put him in, I feel like. Yeah, but to be fair, Christian Coloco had three steals in 10 minutes, which would translate to an uh, average of, I believe, 12 steals a game if we just played him the entire game. <laughs> That's math. <laughs> argue with it it's not you'd lose <laughs> no he was impactful and, and yeah. you see it out there as much as we joke and yes we joke wink wink about Chris Coloco's abilities you kind of see that trust what he can do out there on the floor no one else on this team can just being a seven footer he's active he's lanky he affects shots he doesn't block everything but when he's out there opponents know it when they're driving doesn't mean they mm-hmm. don't he's not that type of shot blocker where they're like oh if he's in there we're not going near like Wills was going driving past everybody he was great for Stanford, but Coloco impacted shots. He stole the ball. He had a dunk, an easy pass. I forget who passed it to him. I think it might have been Josh Green, but just for a dunk, it was like Coloco yeah. did what Coloco should be doing out there right now. Yeah. But it's like that little bit of growth, and maybe, maybe Jeter did not play because Miller trusts Coloco now in that situation because Coloco does bring something different. He does bring that shot blocking, that activeness, if that a word. 
Like just I believe it's called activity. Like, I don't think he brings activity. Like you do an activity. I believe it's just the noun version of active. Get back to us on that. I'm at the <laughs> Green on Twitter. <laughs> I'd like to know a word, please. <laughs> but but you could see that out there where that there was trust in Coloco in big moments, and he rewarded Sean Miller for that too. And yeah. perhaps if Coloco went out there and was struggling, you see Chase Jeter because Jeter should be a more seasoned player, right? He's a senior. He should he's had a lot more basketball under his belt than Christian Coloco. But in that game, when they weren't exactly lighting the scoreboard up, Christian Coloco got those moves. There's only ten. But he got those minutes that could have easily given five to Jeter. I, I think that maybe kind of can also go back to the notion, because I, I think they led almost the entire game, if I recall correctly. Oh, they never trailed. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you. Which put, is also really cool. Uh, yeah. Also, if you have a lead and you play good defense, you know, that, like. They have to catch up to you. Yeah. If you play good defense and you have a lead, you don't have to be great offensively, just like happened in that game, right? Yeah. And so. And Chase Cheater, or uh, you know, Chase Cheater just is not the defender that Coloco is. And I think Coloco is a little bit like, uh, in a more overt sense, what Caleb Tarzuski was as a post defender that would alter shots. With but he actually, Tarzuski was a great post defender. Wasn't yeah. exactly a shot. Arizona blocker. Fans, Coloco can block shots. Yeah, he's like Tarzuski, but can block a hell of a lot of shots too. Yeah, Tarzuski was more like the the like doesn't necessarily show up in a box score other than the opponent's shooting percentage and defensive rebounding. Like he was a presence always. He he made them a better team defense. Yeah. Coloco does so just even more amplified because he is he has such, you know, these Rodan wings <laughs> that he can, sw- you know, swat shots. So he, you know, he can come from the other side of the court. Three steals. And that's not him swiping at people and taking it away, but he's able, the ball gets knocked away, he's able to go grab it. He has the reflexes and the athleticism and the size to go get that. No, he made an impact. Yeah. And, and so, like, if you, have a, if you have, like, a 10-point lead, if you put him in there, they're not going to go more, unless you're giving up threes on the perimeter, they're not going to go on a run. Yeah. He's, he's basically a run killer. In that sense of uh, making it, making them have to earn all their shots, right? Yeah. Chase Jeter, I think we can all agree, is the better uh, post player with offensive skills down low. But if you're going to have Zeke Naji playing thirty something minutes a game, and Stone Gettings, wh- where where is Chase Jeter's role? Well, does he have one on this team? And by all accounts, he traveled with the team, so it's not like he's an attitude yeah. problem. And I, I haven't read anything about him or heard anything about him being a distraction or being a problem. But does he have a role in this team? And like, I know we thought he did still, that yeah. he would come back and he wasn't going to be a starter because the stone getting starting lineup, that, that works. That's a good fit for them. But that you could bring Chase Jeter off the bench, a guy who was, I forget what he averaged last year, 12 points a game or something, like a useful player. He was one of their top three players last season. 100%. Now, on a, like on a bad team, don't get me wrong, but that's the type of player who would have a role on a lot of teams we thought. And yet he wasn't great before his back injury. And now he doesn't seem to have a role since the back injury. And I would say that's because other players stepped up and just took it from him, but that's not the case. Coloco hasn't been so good to where that should relegate Chase Jeter to the scrap heap. Stone Gettings hasn't been so good to relegate Chase Jeter to the scrap heap. And yet that seems to be what has happened. And maybe he's the in case of emergency, break glass and throw him out there and see if he can get some buckets. Kind of like Dylan Smith in that, hey, maybe he's hot today. You can throw him out there and he does a thing. But even Dylan Smith, when he's not shooting, plays defense. Like, so I don't know. I, I liked Chase Jeter last year. I thought he was a good player. And I was excited for what he'd be this season. And who knows, maybe against the Oregon schools, he comes out, he, gets, he has to play, and he plays well. But it doesn't seem like there's a role for him on this team at this moment. Well, 
how much of the minutes that the post minutes that would otherwise be going to Chase Jeter aren't necessarily going to Coloco, but they're going to Ira Lee the last couple of games for that kind of up up top of the key big man. But defense. Lee was getting those minutes before. Still, I, I mean, he was he did twelve? I think the last two. I think I feel like he was only getting six or seven or eight previously. Maybe, but Jeter's been out for a while too. Yeah, so. uh, but and and I think the other thing is that Chase Jeter is a known quantity at this point. He's, you know, for better or worse, you know what he can do. You know what he is, and Coloco is still showing what that promise of what he could be. And if you can invest ten minutes in this road game in a decently tough matchup, you know that might pay off in a month, right? Yeah. You know, having that kind of experience and dealing with different types of players in a different type of environment, um, you know, Jeter, you're going to be able to get what Jeter's going to give you. Coloco. You know, I think he looks really good against the teams that are really bad. But he, you know, he's he's a guy that hasn't been playing basketball that long, right? No. Um, and so it's it's something where I think I think those minutes are partially. I don't know how much of it is uh, a question of Jeter and his fit, and how much of it is Coloco earning some trust and Miller wanting to invest in him a little bit. Uh, Coloco will be here, be in Tucson next season. Jeter will not be. Coloco is probably your starting center next season. Like next to Jordan re- Brown. I mean, realistically, um, and it, but you know, I think Sean Miller's not just thinking about next season. I think he's thinking about, you know, how how good is it to have somebody that you can get ten or fifteen minutes that is a game altering shot blocker and defensive rebounder in a tight game in March. Yeah, that maybe and there's a lot that'll happen between now and March, and a lot that'll happen in March. Hopefully, a lot'll happen. Hopefully, they have a a long run there. But certainly, having a guy of that caliber of that skill set could prove to be advantageous because they don't have anyone else on the team who can do what he can do. You know, he's their best shot blocker probably since, what, Aaron Gordon? And I know Gordon wasn't a center, but Aiton wasn't a great shot blocker. No, I... Yeah, I mean, he might even be... A, if, if you put him in for Aaron Gordon minutes, he would have more shots blocked. Now, granted, can he play 25, 30 minutes a game? We don't know if he can do that without fouling out and without... You sure. Know, but that's the unknown with him, but certainly his ceiling... Seems to be high in that area, which is something that this team could use. Um, maybe perhaps bigger than Coloco warranting that trust that I thought was in this game was Jamal Baker playing all those minutes at point guard for Nico Manning, who only played 27 minutes, which seems like a lot, but he sat for a huge stretch of the second half because he picked up all those fouls, and they weren't really good fouls. I, a couple of those charges calls were not charges, but they were called on Nico. He goes out, Jamal Baker comes in to run the point, and Baker only finished with one assist in this game, but he he ran the offense. He made a couple shots, jump shots when they needed him to, when the shot clock was running down. He once again took care of the ball. He actually had two turnovers in this game, but in those moments, you didn't notice him being careless with the basketball. Right. They got the ball in the post, got to Zeke, like, hey, no need, get the ball to Zeke. And Baker ran the offense. And I know we've talked about their backup point guard situation. They really have one without Brandon Williams, but Baker has seemed to slide in that role, kind of like a Kadeem Allen type, where you're not a true point guard, but you can run this offense. And when Nico Manning's in foul trouble, or if he's just playing bad, I feel better about what they have behind him. Yeah, and Jamal Baker, I feel like is he kind of had a lull there for a little while where he was like afraid to shoot the ball, and like a lot of the guys on the team seem to have. Well, that Washington game probably helped break him out of that slump. Yeah, Yeah, and like since that game... I think he's gone back to being what we talked about back in, you know, what, November, when he's like that guy that is just a basketball player and is kind of a Swiss Army knife where yeah. he can, he's got a good basketball IQ. He's not necessarily a freak athlete. 
he can handle the ball well enough. He can shoot the ball well enough. He can pass the ball well enough. He can, you know, he can run the offense well enough. Uh, he can defend well enough. And like, there's, there's a, there's a, I think a truism in sports that well-roundedness is perpetually underrated, and one great skill is perpetually overrated. And I think he's a good example of that. That's not to say he's, you know, a superstar, but that's the kind of X factor guy that is the difference between winning and losing a good number of games in a college basketball season. Well, especially in, we can talk about Nico a little bit. Otherwise, listen to Saul's podcast because he did a good job talking about Nico and his struggles and what he needs from him. But in those moments, if it's five minutes a game, seven minutes a game where Nico is sitting, you can't afford now. Arizona still has their scoring droughts. A lot of teams have had scoring droughts this year. I think it's just college basketball. But you feel better about the times when Nico's not on the floor. And also, it allows him to play off the ball some, which helps the same. Because one thing Sean Miller talked about in his press conference, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Tuesday. What day is today? Tuesday. Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Short week. I'm all mixed up. We're recording on Tuesday. Sean Miller had his press conference on days Tuesday. Are, days are hard. It's usually Monday. He did it. Okay. So it's usually Monday. So I thought it was Wednesday. Why? But. <laughs> But he mentioned how Nico's defense has been better. And perhaps being able to have a little bit, like his shooting hasn't been good. Nico's been terrible shooting the ball still. But he's contributing in other areas, and there are times where you can have Baker run the offense and let Nico just focus on other things and have success in that area. Where It's, it's that depth that we were so excited about two months ago, three months ago, with what this team could be. And now we say this is all the Kevin. One, this was Cal and Stanford. And we have also done this before. Two weeks ago, we were doing the same podcast. Hey, this is great. Arizona won a couple road games. You know, they can build momentum. Look at all these good things that happened. And they still have to build on their success, which they've struggled with doing for the better part of the last two and a half, three months. But this was another road trip where we saw a lot of those things that make us excited about this team that make you think, yeah, they're capable of making that run, that they're capable of being a good team come March, a contender come March, because you had Zeke Naji looking like a dominant post player again, who teams could not guard without fouling. You had role players stepping up, whether it was Dylan Smith or Baker or Coloco or Ira Lee or Max Hazard made a couple of shots. You had Josh Green, who had 15 points against Stanford and had a really well-rounded game, six rebounds, three assists, two steals, a block. And Stone Gettings has been, so I was like, you're having all these things that, they still haven't played that good 40 minutes, that really good game. You've talked, you've been looking for that game yourself, I know, for a while. They still haven't done it, and yet they're finding ways to win. Granted, They've also found ways to lose. <laughs> but that's where they're at, so... They're finding things. Yeah, <laughs> they're finding something. But it, it's all added up to Arizona getting back in the top 25. It's, it's funny how they, they lose a game, they get dropped out of the top 25, then they win two and they're back in because there's no one really... Like, the back of the top 25 is not that great. It's inconsistent as all get-up. But Arizona's number 24 right now in the Associated Press poll, and yet they're number... Where did I have in my, my notes here? Are uh, they number uh, six? Notes, you show prepped? I tried out oh, eighth in net rating and 13th in Ken Palm. <laughs> what, do we know anything about this team still, Brett? Because they're, they're now 18 and seven, eight and four in the Pac-12. They have a chance to win the Pac-12, which would be an accomplishment, but it's not like they're winning this amazing conference. There's a bunch of pretty good teams, it seems like. Or, or pretty bad. Is that glass half full or half empty? I guess, I guess they're beating each other now, so who's to say? But And I wrote about this for AZ Desert Storm last week where it's like, I don't know if you can, we can make any determination about this team until the season's over. 
in the, until either they make a Final Four run or win a national championship or get bounced in the first weekend because this team is capable of all that. And nothing that happens between now and then will tell us anything. Like, is that still the case? Like, they've, they've taken that road monkey off their back, right? That's a nice thing to see. They can go on the road and win. They can go on the road and win without shooting the ball well. Does any of it mean anything? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> because, I thought I was co- doing a cop-out on this one. Well, but it's, I mean, I, I was pretty re- resigned to last week, and I came in here semi-hot about, like, we know who this team is, and it's that they're inconsistent, yeah. right? And I don't. And if we, I think we both kind of actually half expected this road sweep, but we would have also not been surprised to get swept, right? Yeah. But because we because we lost disappointedly, we're like, oh, now we're going to probably come back and win because that's you know lather rinse repeat. It's almost like that's a credit to the team that they don't give up, they don't quit when things like when they go against tough, when they lose, it takes them losing a game to kind of get that mojo back. Yeah. Well, and, but they bounce back. They've had how many times where they could be like, oh well, we're just not going to do it, and they well, keep fighting. And I believe my my thing that you said should be a bumper sticker last week was uh, mental tough like toughness is consistency, yeah. right? And so cool, you did it for two <laughs> games. You know, congratulations! You are the Pac-12 champions champions of the Bay Area. Like nobody cares. You gotta you gotta if you're trying to have higher aspirations, like this team should have, with the talent they have and the coaching staff they have, they should be you know. Aspiring for greatness. Well, should have a few more wins. Should have beat St. John. Should have beat ASU on the road. Should have beat UCLA at home. Oregon. Well, I'm, but I'm, I'm saying if you could have yeah. chalked up Oregon as a loss when the season began, that's at least three more wins sure. they should have had, though. Sure. No, that's fair. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, you know, you got to, you got to, it takes, it takes more than a weekend to earn trust back, right? And, or to earn a label of being consistent. But, for all the, like we we're all big fans of the metrics. Right? When Arizona, if Arizona had twenty three wins right now, we'd be looking at their Ken Palm and their net and all that. So be like, yep, it validates what we think of this team. I assume that because I used to do the same thing when Arizona had their best teams. Like, well, how good are they? Oh yeah, they're, they're good, right? Like that's what you do. Arizona thirteenth in Ken Palm, seventeenth adjusted offense, and twenty fifth adjusted defense. I don't know what the stat is. I read it though that when you're top twenty five in both, like how many of the last national champions. The percentage, you're, they're top 25 in both. Like, so it's, that's the, the beauty, the frustration, the whatever you want to call it with this team is that you could easily make the case and say they're one of the top 15 teams in the country and an absolute national championship contender, right? You could yeah. do that. You could make that case, and while one could argue with you, they couldn't be like, hell no, what's wrong with you? Like, that team's terrible because there's a lot of metrics that say otherwise. And yet, you're right, Brett. Like, they went and won two games in the road. Congratulations. Now what? Yeah, I mean, if we went into the tournament as a nine seed, everyone would be horrified of playing us. You know, like... I don't think anyone's going to want to play Arizona to begin with. And I say that there's going to be a lot of teams that no one wants to play. Just Arizona, everyone knows what they're capable of. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's the nature of relying on a bunch of freshmen and the nature of modern college basketball, like we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. And... I, again, I'm not going to get too excited until I've seen it. You know, maybe I'll feel better. I'll feel I'll feel like it means something more if they come out and smack Oregon State and Oregon this week and weekend. Um, but even then, I'm going to you know you got to 
you know, what have you done for me lately? And you're only as good as your next game, really, in college basketball. And once you get to March, you're really only as good as your next game, right? <laughs> and that's the dirty secret of college basketball and sports in general, is that especially but in college basketball the most. The best team rarely wins. But I don't even, you know, I don't think we're the we're cl- we clearly the results dictate that we have not been the best team in college basketball, not particularly close. We're way nope. too inconsistent for that. But do we still have that? that ceiling where we could go on a run and it wouldn't be like, you know, it's not George Mason making the final four, you know, it's not like it'd be a complete shock, but at the same time, if they got bounced in round one, it wouldn't be a complete shock either. So until, until you have, I mean, I can't, I struggle to even think of a game, maybe, maybe the Colorado game, um, where in like more than like two or three guys actually you could say played well. Like a complete effort from the team. Like Nico Mannion did, was not great again this this last week. Nope. Um, you know, the only the only consistent player they have on this team is Zeke Naji. And he has some you know, he can only do so much as a freshman. He big. needs to get the ball too. But boy, Except and, for the one where he got the steal and took it coast to coast oh, and that dunked was, it. That was glorious. It was awkward <laughs> dribbling a couple of those, but he he made it work. I mean, for for a big guy dribbling and running full speed, I... I I'll, were you talking like earlier, like a baby giraffe or something getting born <laughs> and taking his first steps? There were a couple that looked like maybe he was learning to walk. I mean, he couldn't take off from the half-court line like Christian Coloco <laughs> could to dunk it. <laughs> you know, Coloco, so. you just... The camera pants him on the on the bench. He's just like just shaking his head like, please. <laughs> so You need dribbles? <laughs> you know, I... Like I said, I, I, the only way I'll feel confident in is if they if they win out basically for the regular season, and, and they can. even then. But and like even if they won out and lost in the Pac-12 tournament, I'd be like I feel pretty good. Especially if like I think Sean Miller is right in that Nico Mannion was playing better defense, but I think that's more a reflection of how god awful his defense was previously. When you're getting like Peyton Pritchard is a great player, but if you're getting your ankles broken by Peyton Pritchard. And you're a McDonald's All American athlete, does not, does not compute, you know. Um, and so, good on Nico Mannion for improving a little bit in that regard. But like, I mean, I said it last week. It's like it's not necessarily fair to be asking this much of a point guard. But if you're like, you're going to go out and say, yeah, I'm basically one and done, and I'm a McDonald's All American, and I'm supposed to be a lottery pick, you know, you got to earn that. It's not just written just because Draft Express says I'm a lottery pick. Um, and he's the guy with the ball in his hands the most. So I think this team will go as far as Nico Mannion is able to... I'm not necessarily going to say carry them, but what's the right word I'm looking for here? Like, facilitate them as a point guard? Like, as far as he'll drag them? Because, I mean, the, Nico or Zeke Naji is the guy that is clearly the alpha on this team at this point. And, like, even Nico Mannion, when he's driving, he's got a great floater, but the guy looks to do the floater all the time. And, like, if you're the freak athlete you are, or you claim to be, dunk the ball over some guys once in a while. Be the, be the emotional leader of the team. Like, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to quite... He's not, an, he's not a non-emotional player, but he doesn't seem to have that, that 
that hate to that hate I'll, to lose. I'm going to kill you on the way to me winning type of mentality. Yeah, I think it's like what we talked about last week with like I'm not saying he needs to be Alonzo Trier. I think he's got a little bit of the Trier <laughs> of uh, like I want to beat the guy in front of me more than win the game. Like Trier was definitely that guy. Yeah, but like but Mark, he was good. Like that's where I said like I I think a little bit of Mark Lyons in him would be a good thing where it's like you don't have to be scoring 25 points, but I want you know. I, I'm going to win this game come I, hell or high water. I wonder if having a Kinjo now with the team and practicing with them will help. I, 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 I wonder if that has helped him probably in practice I mean, going up against him. And I think I said that in December that I was curious to see if that actually you know gets some of that. We won't East know Coast. if it's the case. If they, no. if they win a national championship and Nico plays great in the tournament, then they'll probably be like, oh, yeah, I credit you know, get him going against this guy in practice every day, and he'll be the point guard next year and this and that. But unless that happens, we're not going to know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it hurts, and I don't think – if there's one thing that's been missing from this team for the last couple of years, and I've said it a couple of times, they don't have that dog on the team that's going to be like the guy that you hate when he's on everybody else's team, but you love when he's on your so team. So do whatever it takes to win. And he's also like, because guess what? That guy's the guy that's in practice that's going to be like, Steve Kerr got in a fist fight with Michael Jordan in practice and earned Michael Jordan's respect by not backing down. You know, Steve Kerr's not like, you know, that super like aggressive vocal guy, but that guy is a tough SOB. He just wanted to win. More and you know what? And he showed that to, even in, in in practice. We talk about practice. Uh, Timely. <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, and that's why there's the famous stories that Michael Jordan then was ready to dish off to him for that game winner in the finals, right? Yeah. Like Because he trusted him. Half this season, we he had guys. That guy was ready. We have half the guys on this roster that are afraid to shoot the ball. Um, and then that's maybe partially why Nico Mannion takes it upon himself to, you know, do a bunch of step back things. But like. I, you know, so, somebody needs to be a, a leader on this team. And I, you know, I think Najee leads by example a little bit. Watch it be Dylan Smith for all the yeah. crap he gets from people. I think the team likes him. That's one oh, thing I, I yeah. picked up on. They really do like him. They support him. They want him to succeed, not just because it helps them, but they, I think they generally like the guy. <laughs> but also, how much is Dylan Smith the personification of this basketball team where it's oh, like, yeah. whoa, he looks great. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> for two or three games, like, you went 0 for 13 on threes. Oh, you went 5 for 6 in the next game. It's like, hey, he's back, right? And that, but that's, that you don't know. You don't know. Which, that's, I mean, that's... Eh. <laughs> I'm a little uncomfortable with how good of a personification Dylan Smith Sports is. are fun. <laughs> Never get emotionally invested, right? Because this is what happens. Maybe it ends well. It probably doesn't, but maybe it does. <laughs> yeah, you, was that yourself letting yourself get emotionally invested at the end there? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Why can't I quit you, sports? <laughs> oh, well... You did mention you're only as good as your next game. Arizona does have a couple whole games coming up. But first, Brett, before we talk about that, did you know that every night local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms? Do they? They do. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm is real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is, quote, the motion sensor went off. That's it. Well, that's not very helpful. No, it's not. It could be anything. It could be, even be a boat. Probably not a boat. Probably not, but it could be. They don't know. That's the point. Uh, But Simply Safe home security is different. There's a break in Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means dispatch police dispatch up to 350% faster than a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard the inside of your home. 
All that, though, Brett. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. That's Which one protects you from fires? Like, does it just pour water into your house if it senses a fire? I mean, I think it alerts the authorities. It doesn't do it itself. Probably not. Simply Safe is really good, though, even if it doesn't put out fires on its own. <laughs> Don't undersell Simply Safe when they're a sponsor, Adam. <laughs> no, okay. It's 24 7 monitoring by live security professionals who keep everything on track and guarded for you. You can set up your system yourself with no tools needed, or Simply Safe can do it for you. And you know what, Brett? It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. What a steal. Oh, you're rehashing your old hits. Give the people what they want. If that's what they want, then I guess so be it. We, des- we deserve our audience if that's what they want. Hey, Adam, toughness is consistency. <laughs> so visit simplysafe.com slash overtime. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know that our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. And Brett, before we talk about the upcoming homestand, let's hear from one more of our sponsors. All right. Okay, Brett. So Arizona, 18 and 7, third in the Pac 12, number one in our hearts at this point because they're on a two game winning streak. If you look back, they've won seven of their last nine games, with one of those losses being ASU, a one point game that they blew, and the other one, the UCLA, which I think was rock bottom of the season. Fluky, hopefully, but it happened. So you can't ignore those two games. And yet, if you did, ever since they got back from their initial Oregon road trip, they've been a pretty good basketball team. Yeah. (laughs) It hasn't always been pretty. Like, they crushed Colorado. But they've been winning games, especially on the road. Oregon State comes into town. That's Thursday. And Sean Miller was asked about this being, like, revenge. He's like, I don't know. He's like, revenge. He's like, he said a long time ago, someone told him that revenge will, will kill you. But he's like, it's just a chance, like, they focus on themselves. It's a chance to just play well and improve and keep getting better and win big games. I kind of like that Oregon State is first in that, and I don't know what about it too, if it's like better that Oregon State's first because, and that Oregon State beat Arizona, so it's like there's no chance of overlooking them, right? Because they spanked the Wildcats in Corvallis. Yep. And it was, I forget, it was, it was tied at halftime, right? It was, it was a close game at halftime, and then Arizona yeah. just got rolled in the second half. Oregon State's a good team. They obviously have confidence that they can beat Arizona. And yes, Oregon is the big one. Oregon's ranked number 14 in the country right now. And that's the game that Arizona should have won in Eugene. But you've got to beat Oregon State, and that's no, that's no easy, easy ask, I don't think. No, I mean, I don't think revenge is the right word because we talked about it at the time. Arizona's the more talented team, right? I, th- I think redemption is a better word than revenge. Ooh, okay, I like that. that. Because, again, that's also focused on, you know, th- this team honestly isn't good enough to say they have a vengeance tour, right? <laughs> like, they've... They, they're, they've t- Are you they've calling had- out a column I wrote, like, three months ago? <laughs> Talking <laughs> about the revenge tour? Because you are correct, sir. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> um, you know, because... But it goes back to what this whole team... Like, we've, we've been saying it again, for, since the beginning, if they play their game, they can beat anyone. Yeah. And so it's not about, you know, the only team they could maybe say would be a revenge game would be the kind of freak loss where ASU won by one, and it's, I call them a rival, you don't. 
I'd love to see them in the Pac-12 tournament. Oh, and then then we'll roll them by 20 again? Yeah. <laughs> see, that one would feel more like a revenge game, especially when it's like at that point in the season, it doesn't really matter. That would be the chef's kiss game, probably. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> chef's kiss, like when they were blowing threes or kisses to us in the in Tucson? <laughs> when we were up by, like Arizona was up yeah. by like 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the a redemption tour is more of, how can you come back and look, show that you've learned from your your losses? Well, and especially against a team, Oregon State, we figure beat Arizona because they were a veteran team. They were at home. Like, Trace Tinkle's a good player. Ethan Thompson played really well. Oregon State has experience and skill. <laughs> These are things that Arizona, you could argue, did not have. Well, they had skill, but they didn't have experience a month and a half ago. So that's where it goes, like, did they learn? Now, now they're at home. That helps. And they're not going to be coming off a heartbreaking loss to Oregon when they play Oregon State. So mentally, you'd think they'll be in it. But it's this team. We don't know. To me, it would be a big game because they're going to, if they're going to make a run in the tournament, they're going to play a team, especially probably in the first round, that has more experience than they do. A team that isn't nearly as talented but has people who have been there before. Kind of like when Arizona played Buffalo a couple years ago. That was a team that just knew what they were doing. They knew themselves, and they were ready for that game, and Arizona was not able to handle that. Oregon State's not a particularly talented team, not supremely talented anyway. But if Arizona can show that they have that level of understanding of what they need to do against a team like that that has good players, a few good players, that would be a good sign for them. That would show that they have grown a little bit. And it's just one game. But it's a game that the last time they played these guys, they did not look good at all. Yeah, this is the game for them to (laughs) to break the pattern of redeem themselves after, you know, tripping over their own feet and then going back and then after they redeem themselves, trip over their feet again. Um, it's like the sideshow Bob with the uh, rakes. Yeah. <laughs> I was, was going to go for the dumb and dumber. It's like, you go and do something like this. I tweeted and that. totally redeem yourself. I tweeted yourself. that, Jif, after the game on Saturday. Oh, don't say Jif. I thought it was Jif. I thought I was doing it right. It's not peanut butter. I know it's a source of... Internet. I get confused with it. Honestly, it's, I go back and forth. It just depends on the mood I'm in. But anyway, <laughs> it's like our third straight show with a peanut butter reference, by the way. And Bill Wallen had nothing to do with it. He sent me some peanut butter first <laughs> before the show. That's why we keep going on tangents. But, but, no, but you're right, though. It's like that whole one step forward, two steps back. Now, granted, they went on the road, beat Washington and Washington State, came back, beat USC, and then lost to UCLA. But what's different is this is a team that's beaten them already. A team that not just beat them, destroyed them. Probably, yeah. hopefully, embarrassed them. It, they should have been embarrassed by that game. I think they were a little, you know, a little punch drunk at the end of that game. I think we talked about it. Yeah. So, you know, this game doesn't make or break your season, uh, or it certainly doesn't make your season, but it could, it could break what little goodwill you've earned because of your lack of consistency with the last two wins, right? Um, and if you lose, you know, it's, of course, this t- team is so strange. They might, they, I could, there's a non-zero chance they could lose at Oregon State and then beat Oregon. <laughs> Would you? T- I don't know if I'd take that. I, I mean, it's not I, likely. I, I, I just don't said, accept that. I guess if, it, if they lose to Oregon State, then yes, I'll hope that they beat Oregon and be happy with that, right? But you have to beat Oregon State at home. You just lost to UCLA. The last time you were in McHale Center, you lost to UCLA, who's probably not really any better than Oregon State. But they're, they're a different matchup. Oh, sure. But are they better? No. <laughs> so that's they, were, they were that night. <laughs> yeah. But like, does that make sense? Because like, this is the type of game where if you beat Oregon, and that's Saturday, if you beat Oregon, it shows that, yeah, you can 
beat a top 15 team. I already beat a top 25 team in Colorado at McHale Center. But it would show that, yeah, you can beat a team on the level of Oregon who's not great, but they're very good. That, that'd be nice. Yeah. But it's almost because I think they're capable. We've, they should have beat them in, in Eugene. Yeah. Like, they're capable of winning that game. I would get a lot out of them taking it to Oregon State because what that means. It shows that they could get up for the opponent that's not the big one of the homestand but had just hopefully embarrassed them not that long ago that has good players. Like, Tinkle's a good player. Ethan Thompson's a good player. But it would show that Arizona has that, and it's not killer instinct, but that fortitude to just take care of business. Well, it's it's the consistency. It's the take the pride in what you're doing. You know, yeah, it's it. They just they have to win the game. Otherwise, it's 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 only a downside if you in this game. There's no there's no real upside in my mind other than this tiny incremental step towards consistency. But if you lose the game, you could see it knocking us off the tracks again. Yeah. If you win this game, it sets up a really good battle against Oregon on Saturday. If you lose this game, it just puts you back to where you were after you lost to you. So like, okay, well, who is this team? Do they have a chance against a good opponent? I hate the idea of trying to make a prediction from this one. I do think Arizona's going to beat Oregon State. I do. They're at home. They're uh, There's something about like, I, I guess every time Arizona looks good, I want to believe that they've turned that corner. But I just think Oregon State's not a good enough team to to trip them up in this game, like in McHale Center. And I know Sean Miller said it wouldn't shock him if Nico Mannion has a good weekend, like a good couple games, that he's just ready to break out of that shooting slump. And it wouldn't shock me. Like, they're due for a good shooting game in McHale. I mean, God, they missed, like, what, 75% of shots the last time? So they're probably going to shoot, like, 65% this time. They've missed right? That's how That's shots. how it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I think it's a good, in the sense also of Oregon State first to – you know, I think we talked about it on the road trip that I expected Nico Mania to have a great game against Oregon, and he, he, and he for did. the most part did. Yeah, because I think he it was his last really good game. Because I think that's what gets him a little more mentally focused, and like in that, and maybe that's where the, maybe for him it's a little more of a redemption revenge tour kind yeah. of thing. And I mean, this team is going to go as far as he's going to be willing to bring them, and that doesn't mean you know shooting nine threes a game. You know, it's not if he's only going to make one of them. But that's you're the point guard. You need to be the person that's making good decisions. <laughs> well, if he makes a shot, it was a good decision. I know that's not the case. You can take, you can make a bad shot. Like it, it happens all the time in sports. Yeah. Okay, so Oregon State. Let's. We're not going to touch a ton on Oregon because whatever happens against Oregon State, that'll impact whatever anyone would say about the Oregon game. But it is a chance for a top fifteen win. Now, Oregon plays ASU, who's been pretty good of late. The Sun Devils, like. Sean Miller gave them a lot of credit in his press conference on Tuesday, the day we're recording. <laughs> Said talk about Remy Martin being just a great player and all that. And so Oregon has a tough one on Thursday against ASU, assuming they beat the Sun Devils. Like I think we're kind of hoping they do, because it makes that sound that Saturday matchup even better. So let's for, also we just don't want ASU having top fifteen wins. I think we can probably agree on that. Yeah, I I don't. I mean, worry myself of how if ASU does. I had to does. pick one, I'm not like actively rooting against this son. I'm just saying, if I had to pick one of those teams to win, I'm going to choose the Ducks. Yeah, well, I think you're right that it makes for a better a better environment on Saturday. So let's let's for the sake of this discussion, Oregon beats ASU, Arizona beats Oregon State. Now you have a chance for that big win and the last chance for a big win this regular season. And really, once you get to the Pac-12 tournament, no one really cares. <laughs> like, it'd be nice to win it, but if you were to play Oregon again in the championship or the semifinals, it's like, okay, 
whatever. You're playing back-to-back nights. No one really reads too much into it. To do it at home in McHale, and Oregon's had some success in McHale Center of late. I was there when they broke the uh, winning streak at home. When Miller got into it with Tarzewski. Yeah. I was... And I think that's the game that convinced Raleigh Alkins to go to U of A. Because he's like, he was there and he loved just how pissed people were that they lost a home game to I a remember team. the U of A fans gave a, gave a standing ovation to the team going off the court after losing for the first time. And, and it wasn't even like a close loss at the end. It was, I think it was fairly Dylan, comfortable. Dylan Brooks was killing us. He was good. Yes. He was annoyingly good. <laughs> but Arizona goes into that game. If they do, it could decide the Pac-12 title. Very much because so. Arizona's other games, they go to the Bay Area or the L.A. schools. You got UCLA and USC. Then you come home against the Washington schools. If you, you should beat both of the Washington schools, split the L.A. road trip, that's three wins right there. If you beat Oregon and Oregon State, that's five wins in your last six games. That's a 13-win Pac-12 season. That's probably enough the way it's looking. And you have the tiebreaker with Colorado. Yeah, who has nine wins right now. Oregon also has nine, but then you would have an advantage over Oregon the way the schedule shapes up. So it could very well be a huge game. Not, not, not like Winning the Pac-12 doesn't mean anything other than you win the Pac-12. It would be a nice accomplishment, especially given the ups and downs of this year's team or this season's team. But it's just if Arizona takes care of business Thursday, Saturday is an opportunity to really show that much more. And if they somehow, if they can sweep this homestand, it's like, ooh, that's four in a row. That's consistency. It's like, ooh, I look forward to next week's disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that you always wait for that shoot to drop. But yes. Like, and that, that's what we haven't seen from this team. Like, they've had all these chances. They win the, when you start winning these road games, I'm glad it's only twice. But when they're winning these road trips, sweeping these road trips, it gives them a chance to come home, take care of business, and you start to build something. They failed to do that against UCLA. They did beat USC. They failed to do that against UCLA. But this is another chance to do that now because you come home, again, winners are two straight. If you win these games, you're going to the L.A. schools who are you already beat one of them and the other one, uh, what the hell happened there? But they're winnable games. Yep. So you have a chance. And then, of course, if you win those and you get the Washington schools at home, probably to clinch the Pac-12 title, <laughs> like, like everything is still in front of them. But if they beat Oregon, I'm sure if they, win, if they sweep this homestand, including beating Oregon, people will start to believe again because that'd be a good win over a good team. Yeah. And it, it'll go a long way to earning some of that credibility in, in the uh, consistency game, if you want to call it that. Um, we'll, we'll see, you know, one game at a time because like, you can only beat the team in front of you and they got to take care of. Well, so far, Arizona hasn't. <laughs> they have yeah. not beaten Oregon State. Yeah. See what I did there? That's the I, team in front of them. And I, I, yes, very yeah, good, Adam. I did it. <laughs> so, you know, I got to think that if they beat Oregon State also, it's going to be a, an environment that should get the most out of people emotionally on the court, right? You'd think so. Um, and if not, then, so. <laughs> like, then why are you playing basketball at the University of Arizona? Um, so, you know, it that that potential is still there. And the potential for disappointment is still there. But Always. <laughs> we'll, we will, you know, we will see. And even in the Pac-12 tournament, this might be a, a nice opportunity for, you know, setting yourself up to not have to play three games in three days if you can get, you know. We should be a top four seed, yeah. I would think we have an inside track for a top four seed, but, you know, half of the Pac-12 is, like, almost in first place. Four teams have four losses. Arizona's among them. Another two have five. <laughs> So, no, a top four seed isn't guaranteed, but Arizona should make a top four seed. Like, barring a collapse at the end of the season, they should be a top four team. 
But yeah, I guess I guess when when you're Arizona, this wasn't how we thought Arizona would be. We didn't think they'd be 18 and seven overall right now and rank 24th. We thought this team was better than that most of the year. But they're in this position. The games matter to the extent that I know I said earlier in the show they don't, and they do matter for your seeding. They do matter for potentially winning the Pac-12. Like that, they're playing for a Pac-12 title doesn't surprise anyone. You know, it shouldn't anyway. No. They're talented enough to be at the top of this conference. So these games are big in that regard, but I do stand by that none of it, like we're never going to remember this team for what happens here. We're going to remember them from what happens in March because of the fact that they're capable of doing anything. Flaming out on the first round or making a final four. <laughs> yeah. And I, <laughs> Which I, is I, weird. Is that, when was the last time, like, do you remember having a team, an Arizona team, where you had no idea what they were in mid-February? Gosh, I mean... You could almost say that for the eight-year team just because they had such the weight of all the scandals going yeah. on that it was like they, you could that the, the, they were trudging through that season, you know? And so it's like talent level, again, absolutely, but it was just like they lost in the first round. It was Buffalo, right? Buffalo. And it's like I remember I think some, some of the guys in the locker room even afterwards were like guys were just like, well, that's over. <laughs> almost a relief to be done with it all. And so, like, again, I, it's a weird comparison, but I, that's the closest thing I could think of. Because, like, nobody necessarily, you know, it was the same thing where, like, maybe we go on a run, or maybe yeah. that happens. <laughs> but yeah, it was for I mean, that, that different felt different, though. Yeah, with the reasons. dark cloud, with all the investigation stuff, and the fact that you knew that you had probably the number one pick in the draft on your team. Alonzo Trier was a junior. You had Raleigh, you know, like, we had... It had a weird vibe that whole season. This season doesn't have that vibe. Like even that season had the extent, like, did the players like playing with each other? Was the effort short, there? Short answer, no. Was the effort always <laughs> there? That's not the case with this year's team. Like, the guys seem to like each other. The effort, Chandler said the only time he really had an issue was Oregon State. Otherwise, he thought the team's been playing hard, even on their losses. So a little different in that regard. But, yeah, I guess you could say where at this time that season, yeah, hoped what they, you hoped you knew what they could be, but you, you didn't really know. Yeah, and that team flamed out. So maybe this one bounces the scales and makes the deep run, right? That's you're, what, you're, you're playing the law of averages a lot tonight. I think we have to. <laughs> if not for averages, what do we have in this world, Brett? And I mean, it's pretty fair because the entire Pac-12 is a law of averages conference <laughs> right now. <laughs> so Arizona's got their two home games: Oregon State Thursday, Oregon on Saturday. If Arizona wins both of them, things are looking pretty good for them. A four-game winning streak. If they lose to Oregon State and beat Oregon, I imagine most people will accept that. They'll be probably confused by it. And, of course, if they beat Oregon State and lose to Oregon, depending on how it goes down, people will have their opinions. But whatever happens in this road, this road to McHale Center <laughs> Great to city. host the Oregon schools, <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. And until then, bear down. Bear down.